Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. So Luke chapter 4, and I invite you to stand as we read from the Word of God together. We're going to start at verse 38 this morning. And last week we saw that Jesus had went on to Capernaum, and there in the synagogue had delivered a man of an evil spirit, and I assume this is the follow the same day he uh, will find after the Sabbath service goes on to Simon's house. So we'll pick up at verse 38 of Luke 4. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the setting Uh, When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Um, But before I forget, uh, the grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you once again, acknowledging, Lord, that it is from your mouth, Lord, that we have received your word, we have received all things, Lord. We we acknowledge that creation itself is the byproduct of your spoken word, and we marvel, Lord, at your power and majesty. And Father, we ask now as we look at your word this morning that you would illuminate it to our hearts and minds by your spirit, God, that you would sanctify us to a greater degree uh, through your word this morning, and Lord, that we would see and know Christ more clearly as we witness uh, his ministry and life through the account of Luke. And we thank you for these men who labored to put these accounts together that we might read them thousands of years later, God. And I pray your hand upon us as a church that we would honor you and and seek you, Lord. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, obviously, this is uh, one complete account, and and, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to sit down and read a gospel in in one sitting. I know it's a long read, or maybe even a couple sittings, but you start to see the flow of what Luke is doing as we work our way through this narrative, even into chapter 4. And last week, we looked at the authority of Christ on display, that we had these declarations regarding his ministry But then we begin to see that unfold in the life of Christ. And so we too get to witness 
his authority on display uh, through the accounts of Luke and through the apostles. And I just want to remind you, uh, back at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus' own statement on the nature of his ministry back in verse 18. He's at his hometown, his home church in Nazareth, and there he quotes from Isaiah in the time of reading, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I had made the statement that Jesus is not like so many modern politicians who make bold statements about what they're going to do in their, in their time of service and then fail to do it, but rather Jesus begins doing exactly what he said he was going to do. And we saw that last week that he said he is going to liberate those who are oppressed, and we see there in Capernaum, not in Nazareth because they rejected Christ, but in Capernaum Jesus delivers a man from spiritual oppression, from demonic oppression, and Jesus continues then today to display his authority and his power and to fulfill his ministry that he came for. And so really two things we're going to see this morning. First of all, uh, we're going to see the authority of Christ over disease and over sickness. And then we're going to see the, the um, byproduct of the, the authority of Christ, which is missions. Uh, missions flowing out of the authority that Christ has and the task the Father sent him to complete. And so uh, we kind of building from last week uh, in Christ displaying his authority, we saw that his authority is manifested through his word. He didn't come like Samson with huge biceps and, and uh, you know, tear the place up. He came with an authoritative word and spoke. And we saw that Jesus had authority over evil spirits and that his authority was divine as even the demons recognize the divinity of Christ. The demon cried out that you are the Holy One of God, not a Holy One like an angel or something, but the Holy One, the divine uh, Messiah, the God-man. So building on that, Jesus continues to display his authority. And this morning, first of all, we will see that he displays his authority over sickness, over disease. And we find the location uh, given for us by Luke here that he leaves the synagogue after what would have been quite the dramatic morning service. You could imagine Jesus preaching and under the preaching of the gospel, this demon that is possessed a man cannot take it anymore. He cannot withstand this preaching. He cries out, Jesus, have you come to destroy us? And Jesus casts him out. And then Jesus goes after the service to Simon's house. Now, you will recognize Simon um, because we find him throughout the, re the remaining portions of the scriptures. Jesus would later give Simon the name Peter, which means rock. This is the same man, Simon Peter. Uh, he had not yet been formally called by Christ. He had not yet been identified as Peter. But we see that he already is in, in close proximity with Christ. He already is witnessing the ministry of Jesus, and no doubt already the, the Father is preparing Peter for his role as an apostle. 
And sometimes we probably can be guilty of, I know I do this, uh, we have this kind of view of the apostles as though they were kind of homeless nobodies who really didn't have anything better to do other than follow Jesus anyways. But we get this glimpse into the life of Peter. He has a wife because the only way that you get a mother-in-law uh, is by marrying uh, a mother's daughter, right? So Peter has a wife and Peter has a home. I think it would be safe to assume that Peter most likely would have had children as well. This is long before uh, birth control was on the scene, and so naturally when you got married in those days, uh, Lord willing, you would also have children very quickly. And so we see this little glimpse into the life of Peter, and Jesus goes to his house, and there we find uh, his mother-in-law is sick. We're not told what's causing the fever. We're not told a lot, a description. We're not even, we're not even given her name at this point, um, just that it's Peter's, uh, Simon's mother-in-law, and that she has an extremely high fever, which of course in that day um, could be fatal. They didn't have the medicine, obviously, and the technology that we have, and at this point, uh, her life was, was slipping away, and, and this fever could have been very detrimental to her. And as a quick aside, it's, it's interesting to note um, the, the Catholic Church will argue that Peter was the first pope, and yet they still will argue that those in Christian ministry, uh, priests, popes, should not marry. And uh, it's ironic to me that here we have Peter, who is married, who has a wife, and uh, obviously we see that, that there's no basis to argue that marriage is something uh, that is, that's withheld from Christian uh, leaders or ministers and I don't understand why uh, they, they make that argument, but that's a bit of an aside. But we see that Peter indeed does have a wife, and marriage uh, is a good thing that uh, Peter is never rebuked for or never uh, chastised for. But, but anyways, as we look at the story then, we see that they begin um, pleading with Jesus on behalf of this woman. We don't know that she herself made any requests, but they begin pleading. And, and no doubt, I would say, like a good son-in-law, Peter is praying for his mother-in-law, right? Amen, mother-in-laws, that your, your son-in-laws are looking out for you. And uh, I got to be careful what I say, because my mother-in-law is here today, so <laughs> just <laughs> walking on thin ice, potentially. But um, Peter and probably the family are bringing this need before Jesus that this woman is sick and uh, needs his attention. And in many ways, this is a, a, a beautiful picture of, of intercessory prayer. Um, we, we tend not to think of it as this personal, maybe, because we don't have Jesus in the room physically. We don't get to see him face to face. But is this not them lifting up her in prayer to Christ that he would touch her, that he would heal her, that he would help her in her time of weakness? And it, it just struck me that um, we tend to think uh, sometimes is lifting up one another in prayer is this just a formality, um, sometimes forgetting that we're actually speaking to a person, and this person has all authority. He has the ability to say a word and to heal, and we need to remember that, and we need to continue to lift one another up in prayer, uh, just as these people 
we're doing. In fact, in many ways, we could say that Jesus is more near to us than he even was to these, these people in the house of Simon because we have the Spirit of God who takes up residence within us. They had Jesus uh, physically there, but we have his own Spirit within us. And so we should all the more uh, faithfully lift up one another in prayer to Christ uh, in times of weakness. Paul instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1, he said, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Father. I think there are a few things that are harder than prayer, especially intercessory prayer, prayer for the needs of others. We're quick to lift up our own needs, aren't we? Uh, we find something, a, a difficulty or an obstacle in our life, and, and we're quickly going to God, and we're, we're asking for help. But do we faithfully lift up the needs of others around us? And maybe you find uh, a little list in your Bible, you could write down some names to remember throughout the week. Maybe on your phone, starting a prayer list is a, is a great way to help uh, remember this, this privilege and this, uh, this work that we are to be about as Christians, bringing the needs of others to Christ. And I, and I think there is no greater work that we can do than to pray for one another uh, to Christ who has all authority. Really, when you are praying for others uh, to our Lord Jesus, you are never more like Christ than when you're praying for others. Do you know that Jesus is daily praying for you? Jesus now is interceding for you to the Father. We're told in Hebrews 7.25 that he lives to make intercession for his people. It's an amazing thought that Jesus came and even though he finished the work of our salvation. He atoned for our sin at the cross. He, he was victorious in, in, in rising from the dead. And then when he ascends to the heaven in victory, uh, you would think that, that he would just put his feet up and, and, and enjoy the, the benefits of all that he's accomplished. But no, Jesus, even now, is laboring in prayer for his people. And it's a comfort for us to know that when, when family and friends forget or when they're too, they find themselves, you know, we say we're too busy, which really isn't a valid excuse. But even when others fail to pray for you, you have a Savior who is lifting you up before the Father, who is interceding for you. And he uh, is faithfully serving as our high priest. And I can think of a few things that are more comforting to the Christian than to know that Jesus himself works as an intercessor in prayer. So let us not forget this. Let us, let us not just look at this as an interesting story and, and a kind gesture of these people, but let us follow their example to daily and faithfully lift up the needs of others to the one who holds all authority. And so we see them uh, bring the need to Christ on behalf of this woman, Simon's mother-in-law, and then we see Jesus' answer. And we're just simply told that Jesus, uh, he walks over to where she is, stands over her, and rebukes the fever, and it left her. This is incredible. We, we are witnessing ultimate 
supreme authority over disease, over sickness, as Jesus with, again, no, no smoke machine, no loud music, you know, no lights and, and a, a big dramatic scene, simply a spoken word to rebuke the fever, and we're told immediately the fever leaves her. If I tried this on my own authority, um, I would be laughed at. And if it was all I tried with uh, maybe a sick child, I would probably be charged with parental neglect. If I say on my authority, fever, leave this child, and uh, surprise, surprise, nothing happens, um, we, we understand that this kind of power, this kind of authority, is unique to Christ alone. He alone can speak to demons and cast them out. He alone can speak to disease and sickness and fevers and drive them away. We understand that, that Jesus is demonstrating an authority that we do not possess in and of ourselves as creatures. Sure, some people can, you know, be really good at, at a sleight of hand or they can, they can trick your eyes to make you think something's happening when it's not, but to actually speak and to drive away a sickness, that kind of power belongs to God alone. Now, our modern medicine, in many ways, has advanced as we grow in our understanding of, of sickness, of disease, and we can be grateful for the understandings. I, I understand that years ago, uh, if you had a fever, the theory was that you should cover them with blankets, you should try to sweat out the fever, and we look back in history at, at, at medicine, and we can see how they would try things that now they're saying are not effective. Now they tell us that you try to get the fever down, and maybe a cool rag, you don't want to drop it too quickly, and as we continue to understand the human body, we can, we can, de we can develop better ways of treating things. Um, and, and there's always a product that says it will do it faster, right? You, if you take an Advil for a fever or Tylenol, um, now they say that you can get the, not the hard ones, but the liquid-filled pills that will do it in twice the time. But even still, we know that our medicine, it, there's a delay. And there's not this instant, complete healing that happens. And no doubt, Jesus didn't simply deal with a symptom here. Whatever was causing this fever, Jesus miraculously heals the woman. And so the symptom goes away, but also the cause of it goes away. This picture of Jesus coming into the world, um, we were, I was talking with my oldest son this week, um, you know, being uh, out, out in the trees and stuff a bit, and he asked the question, um, did all of this come as a result of sin? Or like what? He was trying to understand what part of what I'm seeing is a result of man's sinfulness and what part is good? And as you think about that question, as you look around, uh, we need to understand that creation, when God completed it, was good. In fact, once man and woman were made, uh, what did he say, kids? He said it is very good, right? It wasn't just good, it was very good. There is this beautiful creation, this Eden, this paradise for humanity. But when sin came in, it distorted everything. 
Um, the, the, the trees and, and the plants and the animals are now touched by disease and decay. We know that thorns and thistles, which many of you are trying to fight before the harvest, they came up into the creation and corrupted what was once perfect and complete. And in the same way, our physical bodies are affected by sin, the curse upon humanity that we now fight with diseases, we fight with sicknesses, there is cancer, there is AIDS, there is um, liver disease, and there is diabetes, and there is all of these things that, that plague humanity. But what we are witnessing when Christ comes into the world is he begins to drive these effects out. He begins to reverse the curse that has been brought by sin. And it is really a foretaste of what is going to come ultimately when Jesus returns, which we'll talk a little bit about before we close. But it is this picture of light driving back the darkness, and this darkness is manifest in demonic oppression, it's manifest in disease and sickness, it's manifest in hard hearts that reject Christ, and as he comes in and he begins to exercise his authority, he begins to drive this out. And this is a foretaste of what will be done completely at his second coming. We see it in glimpses now. Um, kind of like if, you, uh, if you're going down a, a river that, that is going to go into the ocean. And there comes a point in that river when you're making your way towards the ocean when the water mixes and you will see salt water. I haven't seen this in person. I've seen pictures where you have the two types of water in one stream and you have the salt water coming in uh, and you have the, the fresh water and the two, they don't mix. They, they stay separate, don't they? And in the same way, as we're watching Christ come and as we're moving as humanity, what we are beginning to see is the mixing of that salt water and this water of our tainted humanity. And it is this hope that soon we will arrive on the shores of God's glory. Soon we will, st we will stand with all the redeemed on the shore of God's victory over sin. But we are still in this season of these mixing waters. And Jesus is ushering in this transition from muddy water to the pure, uh, clean uh, waters of God's grace. And so he rebukes the fever and Jesus drives it away. Now, as, as people living in North America, we tend to think of, uh, one last thought on this point, uh, we tend to think of uh, history in, in a lineal way. We think of moving from point A to B, C, D, you know, and then we'll reach the finish line. We, we kind of think lineal like that. But Eastern thought was more of a circle, and if you start to understand this circular picture of history and what Christ is doing, it really helps you make sense of redemptive history. It's not so much that we're moving away from Eden, but we are actually being brought back to Eden uh, in Christ. He is restoring what was lost. Only in the new heavens and new earth, it's not just a garden, but a city. And so it's as though we're being brought back to Eden only in a, a greater and more glorious way. And so think of that as Christ is, is stepping onto the scene and he begins to turn history itself back to God's design that he had in Eden for people. 
So we see that the, the, the woman is healed, her fever leaves her, but Luke even takes it a step farther than that in making sure we understand how complete and how thorough this healing is. Look at what he says. Not only was the fever gone, but we're told that in verse 39, that immediately she, bega- she rose and began to serve them. And, and here we have, uh, I can't resist, here we have the, the perfect picture of a mother-in-law, do we not? <laughs> of a mother-in-law rising up and serving her son-in-law. I don't I think she left, actually. <laughs> but uh, we, we see this amazing picture of this woman is so thoroughly healed of her sickness, probably close to death, and now she's feeling so well that she, she stands up and she begins to wait on her guests. She begins to serve the people around her. And this is incredible. If you're like me, uh, you, you get sick, and you like to milk it for all it's worth, don't you? I remember especially as a, as a kid, uh, I would do this, because you knew that if you could just convince your mom or dad that you're still feeling a bit off, you might skip another day or two of school. And so you would kind of, you know, you're feeling really good, but you would kind of walk slowly and, and just drink, you know, ginger ale and eat chicken soup, even though you were sick of it. Uh, it was worth that extra day or two of school. And, and even as an adult, I'm, I'm guilty of this at times. You, you're sick, and your, your wife, uh, hopefully, uh, sometimes anyway, she's pretty gracious when I'm sick, to, to, to bring you food and to check on you, and, you know, you get to, to watch your favorite show or whatever. And we kind of milk it for all it's worth, don't we? But this woman rises up and immediately begins to serve the guests of her house. This is not only to, to, I think, demonstrate how thorough she was healed. I imagine after Christ had spoken this word over her, that she had never felt better in her life. That she had never felt more full of energy, never felt more full of strength. There was no season of, of weakness. You know, after you're sick and there's, a, there's a, a period of time where your body is trying to recover its strength that it's lost. Maybe you've been dehydrated some and your body has to replenish some of those liquids. And, and there's none of that here. Complete health. She rises up and she begins to serve her guests. And I also couldn't help see here a parallel for us as Christians. You know, we, we, uh, maybe we haven't experienced healing like this from Christ physically, but have we not been healed of a much greater problem spiritually? That in Christ, our sins have been washed away in Christ. We have been declared righteous. We have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. And I think this woman demonstrates for us the kind of life that should follow the healing that Christ brings to our souls, the salvation the deliverance from sin. We are not delivered from our sin so that we can then be treated like some kind of celebrity and and have people wait on us and have people, you know, uh, take our pictures and all of this stuff. Rather, we are to follow the example of Christ and from our renewed strength, from our healing, we are to serve. We are to rise up and bless those around us. And I think this woman demonstrates that beautifully uh, for people. You know, we, we really live in a very selfish society. I was talking with a, a woman today, and she was so angry that uh, when she was, well, I don't know how angry, but upset, uh, that she was in line waiting to buy some stuff, and the, the person at the desk had the audacity to pick up the phone and talk to somebody while she was waiting. 
And, 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 and this is our mindset, isn't it? That everything should revolve around us, that, that, that we would uh, go to a restaurant and if the waiter is too slow, we, we're upset. If our, if our internet slows down too much, we threaten our internet provider to switch providers. This is, this is our mindset. We expect to be served, but here we find this picture of a woman using her renewed strength and her healing to instead serve. You know, we'll, we'll wait in we'll line, and after a few minutes, we're impatient, and we, we want, we'll just, we'll just leave sometimes. Of course, unless it's Tim Hortons, I don't know why people will stand all day uh, for a Tim Hortons coffee, but uh, generally speaking, we are impatient. But let us turn from that. Let us ask the Lord to, to give us strength by His Spirit to, to be a different example, to be the fragrance of Christ to this world, and that they would scratch their heads and look at us and say, what's wrong with those people? Like, why, why are they so eager to serve? Why are they so eager to give up their spot for someone else? What's wrong with them? I can't tell you how many parents I had come up to me after VBS and, and tell me how amazed they were at the way the people served the children, the way that the volunteers gave their time. And that blesses me tremendously as part of this church family to, to be a part of that witness, that fragrance of Christ. I think there's few things that, that, that give the aroma of Christ than serving does. To serve is to be so countercultural and so Christ-like. Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, 28, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, Matthew 20, 28. It is this pattern that as we identify with Christ, we identify with his death, a death to self, a death to my desires, a death to my agenda, and we put others before us, and this is extremely hard, and I think, uh, you know, the, the, the great testing ground is our marriage, and our children and those closest to us will see us at our worst, at our most selfish moments, when I don't want to pour my wife a cup of coffee. I got myself a cup of coffee. I'm sitting down. I don't want to get up and do another cup of coffee. But will I die to myself and serve instead of being served? That is the call for us as Christians. And I want to encourage you as a church family to continue doing that. Um, even as watching Joy and some of the ladies serve at funerals, and many of you have helped in those capacities, or maybe it's just a, a community gathering, or whatever it might be. I go around this town, and, and wherever there's an event happening with volunteers, I'm often sure to find a few Cornerstone people there, as well as people from the other churches, and it is such a blessing to see Christians taking this seriously. And may we do it in the strength that God provides. As Peter says, 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that every, in everything God may be glorified. So as we serve, we are praying to God, give me strength, help me die to myself, help me use this renewed strength that you've given to bless those around me that you would be glorified and people will be sure to notice and hopefully give opportunity to share as Stan prayed for the, the reason of the hope that's within us. So this mother-in-law is healed, and not only that, though, we find as we go on in the passage that as the sun begins to set, that all of a sudden people begin bringing sick ones and 
demon-possessed people to Christ, and he heals countless people on this day. And remember that this is a Sabbath day, so they would have been limited in how far they were supposed to travel, and, I, and, and um, maybe a little bit of a, uh, a guess, but as I understand, the, the Sabbath day started at sunset on Friday night, and it would finish at sunset on Saturday night. They, they patterned their day more after creation, from evening to morning. We're more of a morning-to-morning society. They were evening-to-evening. So as the sun sets, I think a lot of people were all of a sudden free to begin traveling, and they get their sick family members, they get their sick friends, and they start heading to where Jesus was. And instead of driving them away, Jesus has compassion after a very full day. I mean, the, the morning started with cast a demon out of a man, now he's healed someone, and now hundreds of people perhaps are coming to his door looking for help. And Jesus, we're told, healed them. And again, we see these demons in verse 41, crying out as Christ drives them away that you are the Son of God, but he doesn't let them speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And, and, and we talked a bit about why he would do that last week, that Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, knew that if people began to realize the fullness of who he was, uh, very likely a riot would have broke out, that they could have not handled that truth so early on. And so he actually silences uh, some of these demons to stop telling others who he is. He's not correcting them as though they're wrong. He's not saying, no, 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 you're, you're mistaken. I, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Son of God. That's wrong. No, Jesus is just saying, okay, you're right. You know who I am. Now be quiet. Uh, and he, he makes them be quiet. And I see here a picture that I wish, you know, we have so many so-called faith healers today, but it's always from a stage, it's always from lights and smoke machines and, and loud music, and you have the guys at the front. Uh, in fact, I remember talking to Trevor about his experience, uh, Pastor Trevor, with one of these, and I think he went forward just to see what would happen. And he said a guy actually began to try to push him to the ground. And uh, Trevor, you know, he said, he, he, being stubborn, he said, I, I resisted. And uh, then they just told him that, well, he was a stiff-necked person. And, and, and you know, we, we see these kinds of things where people are, are brought into these uh, false, uh, what were so-called faith healings. But that's not the way of Christ. And I would say, why don't these men, if they have this gift that they claim, why don't they go into the hospitals? Why don't they go um, into, into uh, the, the impoverished places of the world and, and heal there? Why is it always from this, this grand stage? That's not how Christ healed. He healed from the doorstep of his friend's house. He healed from the fields and by the river and in the marketplace and at church. Jesus demonstrates this healing. And I know this does raise a lot of questions, which we're uh, pretty much out of time already today. Um, and, and it can be somewhat divisive. I know people will say, well, as Christians, do we not possess the authority in Christ to rebuke fevers as we see Jesus? Isn't this something that we should be doing more of um, instead of turning to modern medicine? Shouldn't we be using this authority of Christ um, today? Is it a lack of faith? We're often told that we don't see more of these kinds of healings. But we've talked about a principle of, of interpretation before, uh, 
which is very important when you read these gospel accounts, and that is that narrative is not normative. Narrative is not normative. What does that mean? It just means that when you read a narrative account, the purpose isn't to tell you what to do. It's, it's that we would see Christ. It's that we would know his character. We would see his authority. It's not that we are then to go and do exactly what he did. Otherwise, we would have people walking across water, and we'd be turning our water into wine, and, and we, would be, uh, we wouldn't go to the grocery store and buy bread. We would just break it and, and, and wait for it to reproduce. The, the point of these is not that we would then know how to deal with fever. It's that we would know who Christ is, that we would see his authority. And so that's very important to keep in mind. Um, with that being said, I am certainly I think, especially, you know, growing up in, in a Baptist church, we're often too slow. I, I will say we are often too slow to pray for healing and to ask God to intervene and to lay hands on people and, and ask God to deliver them from sickness or from disease, that we're often too slow to do that. But I do not believe that we should expect this same uh, intensity that we are seeing in the Gospels today. And one of the, the main reasons is, as I've said already, that Christ did not come in his first advent primarily to eradicate the world of sickness, of disease, uh, of demonic influence. He came in his first advent primarily to deal with sin, to die and to pay for our sin debt and to rise and then in his second coming, he will completely deal with disease, with death, with brokenness, with wickedness, with crime. He will perfectly deal with it, so much so that we're told that every tear will be wiped away. And so you must understand that we are living in this already and not yet reality. Already Christ is king. Already we are delivered from the bondage of sin. Already we are made co-heirs with Christ by faith. And yet we are still waiting for the consummation of the kingdom. We are still waiting for the glorification of all things. We, we, we go to funerals and we, we place bodies in the ground um, because the resurrection is yet to come where the, the dead in Christ will rise with new bodies. So you, you must keep that in mind to understand um, why we don't see this same intense healing in the same way, that these signs and wonders came to affirm Christ first and foremost, to affirm his identity, to affirm his authority. And it's as we see him doing this that we know, okay, this is the Messiah. This is the one who can deal with sin. And so I, I don't believe that, um, you know, that the same healing and, and uh, miracles that we witness in the Gospels and in Acts continue um, to that same degree throughout the, the rest of time. Uh, this is why Paul would tell Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. Why would he tell Timothy that? Why wouldn't he say, Timothy, rebuke your stomach ache in the name of Jesus? Why would, Timothy, why would Paul say, no, Timothy, take some wine and, and settle your stomach? Paul himself would pray, God, remove this, this thorn in my flesh. It's, it's tormenting me. Please deliver me from it. Paul doesn't say, I rebuke you, thorn in my flesh, in Jesus' name. No, he, he asks God 
Knowing God certainly can deliver him, certainly can heal him of whatever his ailment was. But you know, God's response isn't yes that time. It's rather, Paul, the answer is no, because my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul himself, who worked many miracles, was told no by God, that he would abide in the sufficiency of God's grace. So, so yes, we should ask. Yes, we must be confident that our God uh, has all authority, that he can with a word speak and the fever leave, the cancer leave, the tumor leave, that God could certainly do that, but he is not always going to answer that way. So I just want to tell you that so that we don't get um, confused, I guess, as we see these amazing miracles. And then we'll close with the outflow of Jesus' authority. And, um, well, maybe we'll save that for next week. I know it's already late. Um, so I'll just leave you with, with um, w- one last thought about this signs and wonders um, that helps. That signs and wonders alone do not affirm anybody. Signs and wonders by themselves really don't declare someone of God or not of God. Specifically, do you know that in Revelation 13, 11, the devil is given authority to raise two beasts. One beast is bloodthirsty and blasphemes God. And I think we see that manifest in some of the rulers. We're looking at North Korea right now, and they're demanding that the people worship that government as deity. This beast that blasphemes God and sheds the blood of God's people. But the devil raises another beast in Revelation 13. And it is the beast that looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. It is a deceiver. It is a false teacher. And this beast, we're told in 1311, will have the ability to perform signs. Calling down fire from heaven in front of people, we're told. So don't get too caught up in signs and wonders but rather test the doctrine, test the teaching. And uh, that's what we'll look at next week, that Jesus goes from there, knowing that he could set up a very comfortable little kingdom right there in Capernaum, healing people and his healing ministry. You know, he could probably get a Facebook page and a YouTube channel, and he could probably get you know, a television program where he could heal people. But no, Jesus says, I'm, I'm not staying. I must go and preach the gospel. And so Jesus, we see, um, maintains that focus. And so I encourage you um, to look to Christ primarily to deal with our problem of sin. Have you been delivered from your bondage to sin? The greater healing, the the greatest expression of of the work of Christ. And if not, it's the the demand of the gospel is not clean yourself up. It's not pay more tithing. It's not pick up your church attendance. That's not the the demand of the gospel. The demands of the gospel is to repent, turn from your sin, and believe upon Jesus. And then what the gospel begins to produce in you is generosity, faith, love, fellowshipping with believers. So I I encourage you, if you've not done that, turn to Christ, um, be baptized, and identify with our sovereign king who has all authority. Let's pray And I appreciate your patience this morning. So let's go to the Lord now as we close. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for a Savior who has humbled himself. Lord, stepped down from heaven 
not into a uh, well-furnished palace, but Lord, you came down into a feeding trough of animals among poor teenagers who were in many ways outcasts, Lord, and, and you lived in poverty and obscurity. Father, we, we marvel at, at your humility, and yet all the while we see that you are the Holy One. You are the one who has all authority. May you help us to fix our gaze upon you. Lord, did you help us to abide in your love and to serve with hearts of gratitude those around us? I thank you for this dear congregation and for this time this morning, Lord, and we lift up these things to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today to the sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless.